What is sex for? Bang. What is sex for? In the early 20th century, famous psychologist and neurologist Sigmund Freud taught that the chief psychological problem of for all mankind was the repression of our sexual drive. In his view, the repression of our sexual desires was unhealthy and an indirect cause of many of society's woes and ills such as violence and crime today. For Freud, liberating uh, our sexual urges is the means of enjoying a healthy and fulfilling life. That embracing our sexual drive and giving it full expression in whatever way we want would mean that we would stop feeling guilty about these urges as unnatural and wrong and see them as a good and natural for one's full enjoyment as well as another. The influence of Freud's thinking cannot be understated. We have moved away from a culture where sex was a taboo su- subject, what you couldn't speak about without feeling embarrassed or a bit shamed, to the point now where sex is, and sexiness is ubiquitous in our culture today. There is no shame associated with showing skin or muscle to give off a sex appeal to people around us, to market yourself as sexually desirable. There's no embarrassment in posing for a bikini shoot on Instagram or a topless shoot at the gym, no guilt in acknowledging that you might have slept with someone the night before. As a society, we've gone from looking down at people who go into the adult store on the corner to seeing businesses emerge from out of nowhere that are entirely built on the premise that we have these sexual urges that we need to be fulfilled. We have apps such as Grindr or Tinder or Bumble, these apps that kind of fast track our seeing our desires sexually being fulfilled from those in our local area. Ashley Madison, a dating site for men and women who are married but not satisfied, have this tagline, life is short, have an affair. They promise discreet sexual encounters with others who are also unsatisfied and want them to be fulfilled sexually, which they're not getting from their spouse. And then there's internet pornography, which makes a whopping $16 billion a year, which is more than any major league sport, major like NBA, uh, NFL, baseball put together, including Australian leagues as well. What is sex for? According to Freud, it's for pleasure. And according to our world... It's for profit. And our world can sell pleasure very easily. It's why our products are always marketed by scantily clad women and men on billboards. It's well, what we're being sold is the promise that a Freudian sexual ethic will provide the physical pleasures we so desire as long as we buy that car, as long as we buy those clothes, as long as we look like that person on Instagram. We won't feel empty or less human. But in being sexually active and liberated, we'll become fully human. In contrast, the Christian view of sex as existing in the confines of marriage is viewed as a perversion of our humanity, the devaluing of desire, a boring and joyless existence as one keeps their sexual drive in bondage, denying what is primal to their very being. In this world that we live in, chastity is a vice. Sorry, is a virtue. No, it's a vice. That's right. And lust is a virtue. 
Lust becomes the fuel for one's pursuit of sexual pleasure, one's keenness, one's awareness of where they can get this desire fulfilled in the world around us. But the question I want to ask tonight, is such a view trustworthy? Does a view that sex is for pleasure actually lead to human flourishing? The world has named its price, but has it revealed the true cost? The damage that lust leaves in its wake would suggest otherwise. Exposure to pornography in one's youth imprints on the minds a view of sex that teaches them to view the opposite sex as an object for one's pleasure. And what does this do when these kids go into the classroom, into a co-ed school? What does this do, do when the kids start dating each other and the expectations they have in these relationships? What does this do when they grow up start dating and getting married? And what does it do to their expectations in marriage? What does it do to single people and their view of their own singleness and how they get these desires fulfilled? Instagram models portray an image that our worth and value is tied up in being sexually desirable, a worthwhile target of another person's lust, creating a culture of insecurity and anxiety around our weight, around how long our legs are or how muscularly toned we are. And so we feel insecure and anxious because we don't match up to the world's expectations of where value is found. We don't look like how that person does. And so therefore we feel less human, less fulfilled. Lust overrides the senses in such a way that we can go as far as harming people as we seek to see lust fulfill our desires. Rape and abuse, these things are often committed by someone who knows the victim. Such a horrific crime destroys people destroys relationships, destroys and tears apart families, churches, communities. We live with the damage of lust, intentional or collateral, long after the deed is done in so many ways. And we see, even in the story tonight from 2 Samuel, lust override the senses of David himself. This is the man who had a heart after God's own heart. That's who is described as. And what do we see here? Someone who sees a bit of flesh, a woman, but as an object of his desire, wants her, commits adultery, manipulates her, forces her to have sex with him. What does he do to cover it up? He commits murder. How does he do that? He gets his mate Joab complicit in that to do it for him. That's what lust ended up doing to David destroying his complete sense of morality and what was good and what was right. The damage of lust is with us because our world's view of sex is flawed. It's flawed in the way that it overemphasizes the pursuit of physical pleasure and it's flawed in the way that it undermines the social and interpersonal dimension of sex itself. And so in order to combat lust in our life and in our community, and how it damages us. We need to discover once again, what is sex for? Why do we have sex in our society? What is it according to God? What's his view of it? According to what he's written in scripture. Because sex is made to be pleasurable. It's a good gift of God's creation. 
something that we should enjoy, but it's something more than just simply mere pleasure. We read in Genesis 1 and 2 that what sex is for is twofold. Firstly, sex bonds two people together in one flesh, in lifelong commitment. We read in Genesis 2, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Secondly, sex is designed as an act to create more human beings, babies. Men and women joined together in marriage are called to fill the earth, as we see in Genesis 1. Thus, what's at stake in what sex is for is nothing less than love and life. Sex is for love in that it's a relational, mutual giving of oneself in love for all of life to your spouse. It's such a powerful act that it bonds two people together where they can no longer be known as two separate people, but only known as one. Sex is for life in that its natural result is to create a new life, a new human being who will cling and rely on their mother and father to stay alive and will be forever known as their son and daughter. Throughout this series, I've been quoting a theologian by the name of Rebecca DeYoung, and I think she has just nailed it when it comes to these vices. And so I'm going to continue, quote her again on this particular part. She says this, What sex between husband and wife had joined together, no one could ever separate. I love her play on the marriage vows there. What she's saying there is that sex does something. Sex joins things together that we just can't take apart. She says sex natural links both to love and to life reflect its deep other connectedness and its future and forever directedness. Deep other connectedness to each other and its future and forever directedness through the birth of children. Contrary to lust, then, she says this, Lust, by contrast, pretends sex and sexual pleasure are a party for one. Lust makes sexual pleasure all about me. It's a self-gratification project. In lust, sexual pleasure is divorced from love and mutual self-giving. When we lust, we certainly want nothing to do with giving life and the future commitments that might bring. You see, lust attempts to re-engineer sex into something that we can have with all the benefits and none of the responsibility. That we can have the pleasure without the relational commitments. In our technological age of birth control, it's easy for us to manage this, right? We have not only the culture that, that gives us permission to not have kids, not to love each other, to have casual sex through apps, but we also have pills and products that stop us from having children as well. But such a re-engineering of sex significantly devalues its power of being a place of mutual love-giving and life-giving to something that gives momentary pleasure. God designed sex to be more than just simply pleasurable, but powerful, to the point that when two people have sex, they can't be known apart from each other anymore. It's an act that creates life. There are not many things that we can do in this world that creates life and human life at that. Sex is immensely powerful in what it can do. And the reason why God designed it to be within marriage is not because sex is something to be repressed by God, repressed as Christians, because it's rather he puts it in marriage because its power is something to be protected and honoured. 
as the poet in Song of Songs writes, do not awaken love until it so desires. No one wrote more wise words when it comes to love and to sex. He writes those words because sex is powerful and it should be respected. Respected in the confines of marriage. Frederick Buchner talks about sex being like nitroglycerin. He says, contrary to Mrs. Grundy, sex is not sin. Contrary to Hugh Hefner, it's not salvation either. Like nitroglycerin, it can be used either to blow up bridges or heal hearts. I think that's amazing. That is powerful. This is why people struggle to leave abusive partners. Because the sex they are having in that relationship is emotionally manipulating them to stay with them because they think they're loved when they're not. This is why when people look at pornography, after they've finished looking at it, they feel a sense of emptiness and sadness because they're giving of themselves to themselves. And the person on the screen is just an object, nothing more, something used to my own desire and satisfaction. But when sex is practiced as a giving of one self in love, it can be a powerful healing balm as each other, as the spouse, as wife and husband come together in love and intimacy and commit and give of themselves in love to the other person. And when such a powerful act of love gives life, it attaches us in love to the people who come from that marriage as well. Reminding us always that we are connected, that sex is an interpersonal, other person type of act, which we give of ourselves constantly. In our culture, we have such shame in talking about sex, especially in Christian culture. We don't like the idea of thinking about our parents having sex still. I remember growing up thinking, I did not want to know about my parents having sex. And when I was 15, my younger brother was born, and that was like, Okay, that must have meant nine months ago you had sex. And so I was like, oh, that's still happening. That's not great. But if I'm honest with you now as I reflect on this, that's so immature of me. Sex is a gift of God. It's something that he made that is really, really good. Something that is powerful, like a healing balm that allows love and intimacy to grow between two partners. And so I know this has been recorded right now, but I hope my parents are still having sex. I know some of you have your parents in the room right now. And this can be kind of awkward for you. But here's the thing. I really hope that if you are married, you're having a great sex life right now. That sex is good. And you might think, this is so awkward. Why is he talking about this? I'm not ashamed. Because sex is that powerful. And we should be having sex if we're married. We should be because that is a powerful balm for us. It's a powerful thing to increase love and vulnerability and intimacy with those who we are married with. And in fact, most relationships, the sign that they are beginning to disintegrate is when sex stops, when they're no longer having sex. And so if you're not married tonight, or if you are married tonight, be praying for your friends who are married, for your parents. Their sex life is good, not just because of pleasure, so they can continue to love each other and grow in intimacy together. And it'd be a place where there's healing and life. However, that's not it. That's not the full story of what sex is for. In the end, what we see is that the culmination of what sex is for is found in 
the gospel. In Ephesians 5, we read that the mystery of this union between a man and a woman is that it represents Christ and the church. We read in Ephesians 5, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. If we are members of his body, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. See, for Paul, the marriage relationship, this mysterious union, reveals something about how Jesus relates to us. We have become, we are united with Christ in one body. In so doing, we have entered into a loving relationship with God in Jesus Christ, in which he gave of himself for us in love. And not only that, he gave us new life. In being united to Christ, we receive new life. We are reborn made new by God's Spirit. And therefore, we are able to be a life-giving presence to the people around us because we are all together united in the body of Christ. And so therefore, we all are called to love one another and to give life to each other as we live in that union together. So thus, the question, what is sex for, has a much more complicated answer, but a deeper meaning when it comes to the Scriptures. In nature, it's for love and for life, bonding two people together for all of life and for creating new human beings to whom we are also bound to forever. But this natural reality points towards a greater spiritual one as well of our relationship with God and Jesus Christ, that we are to be loved by him and given new life in him. And because that we are all united together in Christ, that means that, that love, that giving of love and that giving of life is something that we can all experience together in relationship to each other. So therefore, there are two practices I want us to focus on tonight to help us to fight lust when we know what sex is for. They are chastity and friendship. So firstly, chastity. Most people define chastity as abstaining from sex or other kinds of sexual practices until one is married. It's seen as something only for single people to deal with. And so therefore, defined that way, it becomes a burden for single people because they've got to kind of stop themselves from enjoying the pleasures of sex. And for married people, it's not an issue. They can just go crazy in their marriage and have sex. The way in which single people are often encouraged to, be chast- to practice chastity is by being told, just be content. Just be content where you're at in life. Just be content with, with Jesus and dating him. Just be content with knowing God. And one day he will put the right person in your life when you're ready and when you're content. Now, contentment is a good thing to have in the Christian life. It's really important. But that is possibly the worst advice you can give to someone struggling with lust, to tell them, just be content. There are two reasons why. Firstly, how does telling someone, just be content, help people who live in a culture in which the air we breathe the formation we receive 24-7 is telling us a different message, a message that says that you cannot be content unless you are expressing yourself sexually and enjoying the feast that is sex. We, all the movies we watch, reality TV, Love Island, The Bachelor, Bachelor in Paradise, 
all kinds of books and Instagram uh, influences. They're all trying to tell us a message that we are not fully human, that we can't be satisfied, that we can't be content unless we are expressing ourselves sexually to those around us, to our heart's desire. And so telling someone who's struggling with lust, who wants that intimacy that comes with marriage, that comes with having sex, just is not going to cut it against a culture of formation that tells us something else. Not only that, I think it also misses the fact uh, that, that telling someone struggling with lust buys into the notion of our worldly view of sex as well. You see, telling someone to be content buys into the view that sex is all about pleasure. And it's just, just got to wait until you're married. Because we're Christian, you just got to wait until you're married. Then you can go crazy and have lots of sex with your husband or with your wife. Such a view of chastity undermines what it's trying to do as well as what is sex is for. Chastity is not about abstinence, first and foremost. It's part of that, but it's not first and foremost. Chastity is about being pro-love. I love how Rebecca DeYoung puts it. If chastity is not a rule book of don'ts, then what is it? It's a pro-love lifestyle. And therefore a virtue one needs whether single, married, old, or young. Chastity is not something you need only when dating or surfing the internet. It's a quality of one's character, evident in all areas of life. Chastity is a positive project, a project of becoming a person with an outlook that allows one to selflessly appreciate good and attractive things, most especially bodies and the pleasures they afford, by keeping those goods ordered to the good of the whole person. And here's all her vocation to love. If you struggle with lust as a single person, as a married person, young or old, if you have expectations of your spouse that you know are wrong, if there are boundaries you're crossing with your boyfriend or girlfriend that you know are wrong, if you're seeking to have your desires fulfilled by going to a particular website, or hooking up with a particular person from uni or from school or whoever it might be. The problem to fixing this problem is not that you can't be content enough. The problem is that we believe sex is for pleasure and not for creating the bonds of love. The problem is that our desires are aimed towards seeking the wrong thing. We are seeking pleasure when we should be seeking love and practicing love and being a life-giving presence to the people around us. The way you fight lust is not by simply through the willpower, trying to stop yourself from thinking bad thoughts, or stop yourself from going to that website, or seeing that girl or that guy. The way you fight lust is by seeking to love your friends, by seeking to be a life-giving presence in your community, at your workplace, at your university, in your home. By having an aim and a focus to say, I am going to give of myself in love to other people. I'm going to view this person as a whole person, not as an object for my own desires. I'm going to see them as someone who deserves and needs my love and my life-giving presence. That is how you begin to fight lust. Not by simply trying to stop yourself from the willpower by being content. It's rather seeking to desire something greater. Desire something that's going to be more satisfying in the end a loving relationship with your friends, with your family, with your neighbours, those around you. That is how you fight lust. 
And then some more specifically. If you're married, the way to do that if you're married, the way to fight lust is by having sex with your spouse, by loving them, giving of yourself to them in love, being vulnerable and intimate, letting sex become that healing balm. Some of you tonight, the application is you need to have more sex in your marriage. And this is not something silly. This is serious. You need to have more sex because that's what sex is for. Sex is a a way in which we give of ourselves in love and create that intimacy and that vulnerability in our life. Not just about pleasure, it's about actually growing in love. If you're single, then... The way in which you can fight lust is by recognizing the fact that to be someone who is loving towards others doesn't require you to have sex. And to be a life-giving presence in the world around us doesn't require you to have babies either. That you can be these things because the Spirit of God has united us to Jesus Christ. And if we are experiencing the love of Jesus in our own life, and his life-giving presence in our own life, we can show that to other people around us as well. Because that is the sign that sex and marriage points towards. Sex and marriage point towards the kind of relationship that God has with us, and so therefore we can have other people. In that we want to give ourselves to other people in love and be a life-giving presence in front of those people as well. You're not missing out. That's what I want to say to you tonight. You're not missing out if you're not having sex. When I got married, I thought it was going to be sex all the time. As a young man, I thought that's what it's going to be like. It's not. And sex is something far greater than what I thought it would be. As me and Katie are growing in love more and more as a married couple. But if you're single, you're not missing out on the pleasure and the joy that you can have with other people around you as you seek to love them and be loved by them in friendship. That's what chastity produces. Good friends. People you love and who are loved, who love you as well. Rebecca DeYoung also says that, you know, you can fight lust with an internet filter, sure, but the best thing you can do to fight lust is have good friends. It's to have people in your life who can, you can allow them to kind of put a spotlight on your heart and to open up yourself to them, who can see who you are and seek to find grace in those moments where you have failed when it comes to your purity, when it comes to lust. People who you can come to and say, pray for me, I'm struggling with porn again, I'm watching porn again, please pray for me, help me to desire something better. People you can be honest with and say, hey, look, I've crossed the boundary again with my boyfriend or girlfriend. People you can tell them, look, I'm, I'm married and I love my wife, but I find myself looking at other women or other men. I find myself wanting more. Things from my spouse that I know are ungodly. And these people can pray for you and help you. And as you shed light on it with them, The Spirit works in our life to bring us to be more people who are going to be more loving and life-giving in all our relationships so that way we can fight lust, good friendship, and chastity.
And the idea is, is this, is that when we demonstrate this, we become the kind of people, Jesus says in John 13, where who we love one another as I have loved you. And by this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The marriage covenant shows the extent of this love and that, he binds, that Christ binds himself to us and gives us life. But we can show that love to each other as well, whether we're married or single. And so sharing life with each other, not living in isolation, giving of ourselves in love and service to one another is what cultivates chastity, that pro-love lifestyle that stifles lust and creates friendship. Lust says gaining pleasure from sex is our salvation. But the gospel says being in a loving and life-giving relationship with God is a better salvation, eternal one. A relationship we can reflect in marriage or out of it, young or old. If you practice chastity and having good friends.